0: Good morning, I'm Pastor Sam Gutierrez, it's good to be with you this morning, I'm excited to preach. You can go ahead and turn to Luke 24, verse 36 through 48, either in your Bible at home or in your favorite Bible app, or you can just follow along, the words will be on the screen. While you turn to Luke 24, verse 36 through 48. I'm going to pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts, open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our hands that we can receive, that we can see, that we can hear, that we can do whatever it is that you're speaking to us this morning. Give us the insight. Open up our minds. Take away the cloud of sin. Give us light in order to see and perceive. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Luke 24, verse 36 through 48. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. Ghosts, they don't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what it is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in college, on an Easter Sunday morning, I went to a church in a small town in Iowa. And after a spirited sermon about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the pastor led the congregation in a chant. He had the whole congregation say over and over again with increasing fervor, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. On one level, I understood what the pastor was trying to do. He was trying to help the congregation express faith in a foundational Christian truth. But the chant, well-meaning as it was, I believe, was out of step with the spirit of these early resurrection narratives that we find in the Gospels. We're in an Easter series called Backwards Faith, and the first week we took a look at the story from the perspective of Mark, who ends his Gospel abruptly with the words, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And then last week, we explored the story of doubting Thomas, who was having a hard time believing the testimony of the other disciples. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And now in our passage this morning, the disciples are filled with doubt again. I understand a pastor's anxiety and on Easter Sunday morning to whip up the congregation with chants of, I believe. But the early gospel narratives paint a different picture. Those who knew Jesus were scared, bewildered, and filled with doubt. If you listened to the podcast this past week, Stefan and I talked about doubt and one of the points I made was that often we think that church is for those who can chant, I believe, with every bit of their mind and heart. Church is, in other words, church is for the super convinced. The moment that we have questions or doubts, we wonder if we fit in church anymore. We believe and been told that doubt is to be left at the door of the church building because church is a place of faith. But according to the gospel narratives, doubt is an important part of the journey. And we can actually take our doubts and our questions and our hesitations and our flat-out disbelief and bring the whole thing to church and pray the sincere prayer of a Roman soldier, I believe, help my unbelief. And And Jesus does just that. He helps our unbelief. And in this passage, I want to point out two ways that Jesus does just that. He helps our unbelief, and then two practices in our worship that help us to practice belief. I have a vivid memory of the first time I got in trouble at school. I was in the fourth grade, and my friend and I were seated in the back row, and after two warnings for talking during quiet time, My teacher had my friend and I stay in for time-out during the recess breaks. It was the first time I ever got in trouble at school. I wasn't a bad kid, and maybe I was just testing out boundaries or having too much fun with my friend, but I was being disruptive and I was given my first detention or my first time-out. I was scared, mostly scared to tell my parents. I don't know why. My parents were good and kind people, full of love. I grew up in a very warm family environment filled with good food, hugs, laughter, and a very energetic dog. But still, I hid my time out from my parents. I thought I had gotten away with it. About a month later, it was time for parent-teacher conferences. After meeting with my teacher in the early evening, my parents came home and said to me gently, Your teacher told us that you were talking during the quiet hour and that you were given a detention. All the blood drained out of my face. I was scared. They said to me, Honey, you don't have to hide something like this from us. You can tell us. Everyone makes mistakes. Next time, listen to the teacher, and if she asks you to be quiet, then, then make sure you do that. And that was the end of the conversation. Jesus appears to the disciples in a locked room in his glorified, resurrected body, and they were scared, thinking that the one standing in front of them was not Jesus, but the ghost of Jesus. Noticing their fear and their doubt, what do you think would be the response of Jesus? Anger, frustration, disappointment? What do you think Jesus' response would be? You think... That maybe Jesus would be angry after spending three years with the disciples and walking beside them in almost every moment of life. You think he would be frustrated and angry and say something like, you knuckleheads, I told you I was going to rise from the dead. You obviously were not listening. Oh, I can't even trust you with this one basic No, but Jesus actually responds more like my parents did. He speaks a word of peace to his disciples. In fact, the whole passage is Jesus being abundantly gracious to his disciples. He starts out by saying a common greeting, Peace be with you. And they're so afraid, he shows them his hands, he shows them his feet. He says, Touch me. And they did. And then they're still having a hard time believing. So he says, let me eat something. Do you have any fish? I'll prove it to you that I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't have stomachs. They don't have internal organs. Ghosts don't eat. And so he eats a piece of fish. And we find this word of peace at the beginning. A warm greeting And then an invitation from Jesus to believe. But for many of us, it actually takes a really long time to trust that God is completely and absolutely for us in every way. And so, right away, every Sunday at the beginning of a worship service, we're greeted by God. What will God's greeting be? Will it be filled with anger and disappointment? What if every time we gathered for worship, we never knew what kind of greeting we would get? What if God's greeting was like this? Well, here you are again, a bunch of sinners. You failed again this week, didn't you? Why don't you just do what I say and believe? I guess we'll do this all over again today, and this time, pay attention. I'm really getting tired of this. But no, that's not how God greets us. God's greeting goes like this, and you heard it this morning from Stephan. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's another way of saying what Jesus said to his frightened disciples, filled with doubt, peace be with you. We, the God we see in this passage is one who speaks a word of peace and who blesses. Even in their doubt, Even in their confusion, he does not yell at them, but he invites them to touch, and he invites them to receive his grace. On Christmas night, 1971, Alger Park Church caught on fire. A single light bulb illuminating a stained glass window was left on. It overheated, and it ignited a piece of fabric covering a pew. The fire quickly spread, and soon the windows collapsed, melting into fragments. The fire department responded quickly and began spraying thousands of gallons of water into the sanctuary in order to douse the flames. A few firefighters entered the back of the building, finding their way into the pastor's office in an attempt to save a lifetime's worth of collected resources before the Internet They tossed books and commentaries through the window onto a tarp on the ground. And as the fire continued to blaze in the sanctuary, more and more water poured into the sanctuary. There was so much water covering the floor that the baptismal font rose from its position near the pulpit and it floated to the center aisle. And from there, the font swirled around until it eventually descended down two flights of stairs through a door and out into the parking lot. Jesus gave us two sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And the most basic definition is that a sacrament is a means of grace. This is why the sacraments are really about God and about who God is. God is love, and we are the recipients of that love. I invite you to touch your forehead, everyone who's at home, and you can say something like, I'm baptized. And if you do it again, you can say, Jesus loves me. The two are synonymous. And every Sunday we get to practice that, the blessing of God, our deepest identity. I'm baptized. Jesus loves me. Yes, you are loved. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth to sink into. But just like that baptismal font floating down the stairs and into the parking lot, there is an outflowing nature to the love that you've received. The baptismal waters are not meant to stay in the sanctuary. They are meant to flow out into the surrounding neighborhood and community. You are loved and as a loved person, you are called to witness to others that they, in fact, are loved too. You've been given promises not to simply bask in them, but to go out and tell others that God's promises are for them too. If we are chosen, then we are chosen to communicate to others that they're chosen too. The the baptismal waters are not static. They're flowing waters. They drench and move outward. This is why at the end of every worship service, the congregation is sent as a blessed people, a baptized people. On Christmas night, 1971, the baptismal font floated down the stairs and into the parking lot. Did it really happen? I don't know. Legend has it, according to one witness, yes. But the spirit of the story is true, that the baptismal waters are flowing waters. God's grace is always trying to escape the confines of the church walls, out through the doors, in order to drench our community in endless waves of blessing. In our passage this morning, Jesus not only greets them with a warm word of peace, but he sends them out as a blessed people. Remembering our baptism is another way of internalizing or practicing the welcome of God. And being sent at the end of the service with another blessing is it's just another way of living out what we see here in this passage, that Jesus sends his disciples to go out into the world as living witnesses Living witnesses. This morning, we're reading about a group of Jesus followers who are scared and filled with doubt. But fear and disbelief doesn't stop the blessing of God from flowing. Every week when we worship, we get another opportunity to engage in practices that remind us of who we are and who God is. We're welcomed into his presence. We remember God's blessing in the sacrament of baptism. And at the end, we're sent into the world as welcomed, blessed persons, communicating to others that they're welcomed and blessed and sent as well. It's easy to think that church is a place for the convinced, for those who can say over and over again, I believe, with no hesitation, with no doubt, But I don't think church is about that at all. What if instead of a church being a gathering for the super convinced, it was a place for scared and doubt-filled people to gather and encounter a God of grace? A place to be blessed, a place to be reminded that we are warmly welcomed even when our lives and our hearts are a complete and absolute mess. And then we're sent into our neighborhoods to let others know that they're warmly welcomed too, recipients of God's amazing grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for always greeting us kindly receiving us warmly and entrusting us with a message of grace to others empower us help us to receive the blessing that you're giving us that we might be living witnesses to others we love you lord we pray this in the name of jesus amen